everybody, this is your host Aram Lukumov and you're tuning in to another episode of the Product Innovation Series. Uh, today I'm joined here with Eyal Cohen. Uh, he's a Senior Director of Product at Microfocus. He spent more than two decades in the world of test automation and leads the next evolution for automated functional testing. Uh, Eyal uh, has helped hundreds of customers build their test automation suites and improve their autom automation ROI. Uh, thank you so much for joining me today. Really excited for this episode with you. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. All right. So first thing I want to know, or I'm sure the audience is going to want to, you know, uh, uh, get uh, informed on is what is automated functional testing? Um, and you spent two decades in it and curious to know why this, this particular area of focus. So I, I got it by, by, by chance, okay? I didn't know about it, anything about before that, but I think it's a very fascinated, fascinating area. You know, you hear about, it's always talking about quality, talking about testing, automation, functional testing, also performance. You only hear about it when there are issues. For example, in Black Friday, Best Buy is down, so everybody hears about it, or, some issues in security in a bank when you open the app or something like this. So, so many things. But behind the scenes, there are so many interesting things. At the end of the day, any app in the world or site or any application need to be tested to make sure that the quality is as expected. Now, imagine you're opening... Um, Again, two days ago, WhatsApp was down. I don't know if it's worldwide or only in, uh, in my location, but something went wrong in uploading to production. I don't know why, what, but something went wrong. And at the end of the day, in today's world, you need to make sure that your application quality is very, very good before moving forward. And without automation, you just don't have the time to do that. If for any change, you need to manually test everything, it can take you months to, to do so. And when you want to release a product every week, every month, every day, you need to validate it that it works. So it's very fascinating. And they, you know, the, we're seeing so many different methodologies behind the scenes of how it works. Just it's a whole world that if you're in it, you understand it. If you're not part of it, it looks like, ah, it's testing, you know, who cares? But, but there's so much behind it. And so what, what is, um, cause I'm familiar with functional testing. Like most of it is, you know, done, uh, manually, right. In most companies. So how, how does automated functional testing work? So you need to create a script, a test, we call it, it can be using a code coding. It can be in any, uh, language that you want. Uh, it can be also a uh, codeless testing, which is, you know, there is a huge uh, thing that right now is no code, low code. So it's for developer and for testing as well. Uh, imagine writing in this pure English sentence and the machine behind the scene know how, how to run it automatically. So you can have hundreds of thousands of scripts and now you test and every build your CI will just execute all the tests automatically. And when you're checking the build in the morning or after a couple of hours, you're getting the result. Is the quality good or not good? Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, and next question I have is more around uh, a different type of uh, 
topic, but I wanted to ask you about meetings. Uh, so the question is, what's what's the best customer customer meeting you've ever had? Let's start there at at Microfocus or in in a prior role. So meeting customers actually there. Are- Two main reasons why you're meeting customers. Actually, three. One, the customer wants to complain and you need to answer, but let, let's put that one aside for a minute, okay? But the two other main re- reasons, one is to better learn how the customers is using your solution or what are the challenges that the customer is facing with your solution in specific or in the area that you're working on. And the second kind of meeting is when you have a new thoughts and new things that you want to develop and you want to validate it with the customer before actually developing it or in an early stage of development. But for me, the best, as you asked, what was the best customer meeting? So the best customer meeting for me is when I'm not talking at all. So the customer is just spilling his guts. And and I had this experience a few years back. Uh, Every year before COVID, we had had a customer... um, conference where thousands of customers worldwide come into one place and seeing what the latest and greatest and we have the opportunity to talk to them and the specific customers that I'm not going to mention the the company they came like five people to to the meeting and the first one the first question was we want to move to DevOps how can you help us and I have I have an answer for that but instead of answering actually asking, why do you want to move to DevOps? What's the objective? And he said, ah, we want to move faster. And another one from the company said, no, we don't care about fast. We so for like an hour, I just laid back, sit, sit down, and they argue between themselves why they want to move for DevOps, <laughs> okay? And at the end of the meeting, I was so amazed of their internal conflict, and I learned so much out of it. And actually, they came to me and said, you, you help us so much. So I didn't say anything. I just, you know, ask you, what do you want to do? Yeah. And he said, this is, sometimes this is what you need to hear, to hear. So then maybe my follow-up question is that maybe, you know, when doing any customer meetings, listening is the main, you know, responsibility or activity you should be doing. But in other circumstances, what do you need to do to always ensure that you're extracting the max amount of value during these type of meetings on both ends? So as I mentioned, there are two types. If I, I want to learn how the customer is working or what is challenges, it's very important to be patient and don't be afraid of awkward silence. If you're asking a question and the customer is not answering immediately, give him a minute, give him two minutes, just give him the time to answer he will answer at the end of the day. Don't put anything in his mouth. Don't say, oh, maybe this is your challenge or maybe you're using it like this. No, give, give the time, give the customer the time. All customers love to talk. Give it, be, be open with them and, and make sure they're feeling heard. Okay. And, and if I take it to the other point when, let's say I want to validate the new solution that we're building, don't lead the customer to the directions that you're already think, thinking about. Don't, oh, do you think it will help you to do that? No, don't do that. Leave the question open 
and let the customer understand whatever you understand from what you presented. Don't don't lead him anywhere that you want to go. And as a as a product leader, uh, when going into these meetings, um, and you know, actually, before I, I ask, how frequently do you do these? Is it a monthly? Is it on a quarterly basis? Is it like time to your product roadmap release schedule or planning strategy planning sessions? We're doing it all the time. Okay, all the time. We have many, many customer meetings. In most cases, they are coming to us. If the sales rep is coming to me, hey, I want you to talk to my customer and talk about the roadmap and, and so on and so forth. We are taking the opportunity and taking the meeting to where we want to take, not just answering, you know, presenting the roadmap. Said, so, oh, we have an idea. What do you think about that? Or before talking about any customer meeting, I'm talking about the challenges. I'm starting with the challenges. And over there, I can understand if the customer relates to what I think or has different challenges. And this is where I'm taking the, this direction. But this is, you know, we have several meetings every week. But before we release and develop a new solution, we are uh, proactively engaging some of our customers to get their feedback and, and to make sure that we're doing it right. For example, in the... In, you know, COVID completely changed the way we, we, how we interact with customers. Before COVID, we, we went to many customer on-site meetings. Now, most of, it, most of it is virtual. But even, you know, now that COVID, I'm not saying it's over, but it's, you know, more stable, we are trying to do, we call it a customer tour. Uh, I'm living in Israel. For me to go to the U.S., I'm not going to visit one customer. So in five days, I'm trying to meet 10 customers, two customers a day. And for me, this is something that I'm, you know, currently planning for the next couple of months, having the opportunity to go and talk to customer on their ground. And usually it's much, they're much more open than on like 45 minutes in, uh, in a virtual conversation. And usually what even helps taking them to dinner, uh, usually they're more open late after yeah. that, but yes. That's when they tell you the truth, right? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, yes. After a couple of days, yeah. yeah. And what's what's like the uh, after after the end of every um, customer meeting? How do you go about, you know, conducting the sense making or kind of like consolidating what your learnings are? You know, do you wait until you get, uh, say, five or ten of the same type of meetings in order to do the sense making? You know. Uh, across all all the interviews, or do you do it, you know, one by one? Uh, no, actually, I'm waiting. I'm waiting because if you do it one by one, first it will take you so much time to do that, and second, you need to hear many opinions before understanding what really the customer wants or needs. Mm -hmm. uh, there is, you know, there is a very known syndrome in product management saying the last cut, last cut, uh, customer meeting. You, there are some people that you know the last things that heard this is the truth but and it's not the case you need to hear more more customers to make sure that you're more uh, educated with a different variety of personas and different variety of organization to make sure that you're actually building the right or taking the right conclusions for from the feedback that you got okay um Next question I have is around your tenure in product. So you've been in product, if I you know calculated correctly, about twenty-two years. It's that's a lifetime. 
for a lot of people, yeah. right? Uh, especially. Yeah. <laughs> um, so in your eyes, you know, how has this world of product changed? Oh, it, it changed. So a, a lot of things changed. So Agile DevOps for sure changed it. We need to work much, much faster than before. If in the beginning, you know, we had an idea, we had like six months to think about it and to think how to how do we want to solve a specific challenge. Now we don't have this time. But it's not only that, actually, uh, we have today we have tools that we didn't have in the past. So, we, you know, a lot of people talk about data and big data, how to analyze it, but it's so important to actually learn from your customers. So if your product is a SaaS product, you can actually learn how they're using it. Get real feedback of the usage, which part of the product they're using or which part they're not. Do A-B testing, add something. If it's not working, take it off. So it completely changed the way. Back in the days, if I wanted to do something, I need to design it, find it, and give my development like eight, eight, 18 months to develop it. And if I was wrong, it will take me another 18 months to fix it, which is a long time to be wrong. Now, if I, I have an idea, we're trying it. In a month or two, I can get you know real feedback from customers if it's good or not. And if it's not good, I'm taking it out. If it's good, but we need to fine tune it, we have the time to do that. And we can actually react much, much faster. Mm -hmm. What would you say has been the most dramatic before to now shift? Uh, two things. As a, first thing is the time that we have to design or think about things or validate things. Uh, second, because in today's reality, most solutions are software as a service, so you don't need to wait until a customer buy it, download it, install it, implement it. So you have, and if you want to do changes, you can do it every week, every month. There are the two main things that completely change what we're doing. Because now if I'm wrong and I'm taking a wrong product decision, next month I can fix it. Yeah, so things are... Um, so the time frame of being able to test something to roll it out has gotten shorter because yeah. we have better mindset or tools or capabilities in order to actually achieve it. Um, yeah, I, I, give, I give you another example. Uh, a long time ago, we, we had a, one specific capability in our product that we wanted to remove. We didn't think anyone wanted it. So we, dis we decided to remove it. The amount of, we have thousands of customers of this product. The amount of customers that was so mad that we removed it was, we, we got so many emails about it and sales uh, calls from sales. <coughs> Sorry. And it, it, it happens because it, it took us a lot, another six months to fix it. There is some noise on it. And in today's reality, it's not the case. So first we know if they're using it or not, or not because we have the data for it. So we'll, we'll be much more educated to take the decision. Then even if we are wrong, we can fix it in a week or two, not six months. And this is a huge change of the way we're working. Okay. And uh, with your kind of track record or experience, you have you worked in large enterprises, um, you know, predominantly 
and then you also worked with other large enterprises in the past. What's been yeah. the biggest product challenge in that environment of enterprise that nobody seems to still be able to crack? So I don't know if nobody able to crack, but I'll, there are two completely different questions. Working in a large enterprise organization and serving large enterprise organization. So when, when serving large enterprise organization, I think the big challenge is every organization think they're the most important one, okay? And they're thinking that any requests that come from them must be applied now or yesterday. And they need to realize that it's not always the case. You cannot answer any request from any customers because that this is a great way not to take the product to the right direction. So working with big companies is very challenges, challenging, sorry. And working in a big company is also very challenging because there are so many bureaucracies around the sense that you need to follow that sometimes slow you down. And if you want to take a decision, sometimes you need to get approval from legal, from security. So, and, and they're very important, but sometimes it's just slow you down. And you need sometimes to not play that nice in order to push things uh, in the speed that you want. And so from like a, you know, a solution or an answer to these two separate problems, what have you seen work? So like, for example, let's talk about when you're serving other large enterprises, if somebody's giving you and they're a big customer or you have a slew of customers giving you certain requests or features, what have you seen as a good solution in order to, um, uh, you know, recognize or, you know, acknowledge or create a solution around those type of requests? So I'll start, I'll start with what not to do. Don't lie to them. Okay. Don't say, ah, no problem. You'll have it next month that you know they're not going to have it next month because maybe it will, you know, you'll finish the meeting happy, but uh, next month you'll be, you know, they will stop believing you. So don't do that, but be honest with them, but be realistic when you talk. Sometimes when customer requests something, they don't know exactly what they want. You need to stir them to the right direction. Maybe I customer may, may say, I want this capability. And they didn't actually need it. They wanted this capability because they, they thought this would solve a specific challenge. Understand the challenge and maybe another capabilities that you already have uh, planned can work for them. So listen to them. Always be nice. Don't say, no, you're not going to get that because it, it's not the right thing to say. But even if you're getting the request, you can say, you know what? Currently, it's not in our backlog, but we'll add it to next year. Maybe maybe it's good enough for them. Maybe anywhere they're not planning to upgrade in the next 12 months. So be, be patient, listen to them, and make sure that they understand that they are you're here for them to listen and to help, but they are part of a big uh, ocean of customers that you need to serve. Okay, and then from the side of... Um... When you're working, yeah. When you're working in a large enterprise, you know how do you so, how do you manage stakeholder expectations and approvals? Sometimes, and again, maybe it's not politically correct to say that. Sometimes you need to do before asking. So if you ask, "Can I do that?" Maybe it will take three months to get an answer, and you don't have the time. Sometimes just do it, 
the worst case, you'll apologize later on, but at least you did it. So sometimes you need, you need to go to the other direction. Uh, be ready to that someone will be mad at you, which is fine. It, it's like customer mad at you also inside your organization. It's, it's, it's a good practice. You need to know how to deal with that. But sometimes you need to react and to act before asking. Okay, I like that. So basically, uh, do ask for forgiveness after. Sometimes, some, not always. Like, if you're going, know you're going to have a, a, a security vulnerability, don't do that. Okay, there are stuff that you cannot overcome. But if you need a, an approval to do something, do it. Ask after, ask for approval. Worst case, they will say, "Oh, why did you do this?" And said, "Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to." And and go on. You know, it's they're used to it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um- one thing I wanted to ask you about is the definition of what enterprise ready means in the product realm. Um, how do you get to the it's, point of being enterprise ready? Oh, sorry, what is it and how do you get it, to the point of it? So enterprise ready is making sure that you're creating enterprise scale application. It's If it's uh, scalability, security, audit trail, uh, traceability, quality, supportability. There are so many things. You know, every time we have an idea, Darity can take a week, develop it, and a POC like uh, environment, and everything works. But it's not enterprise ready. You need to make sure it's easy to install, easy to understand, easy to upgrade. There are so many things that you need to make sure that they're ready, so and big enterprise can use it. And and. Big enterprise before taking your solution actually check, and sometimes they audit your application when you're they're doing that. So you need to make sure that you have all the security uh, checkpoints in place, and all the audit capabilities in place. And sometimes they they even want to see all your uh, test documentation to make sure that you validate the application. There are so many things to do. This is why when when I'm looking at startups that are developing every week something new, sometimes I'm jealous of them because they can try their, if they don't have enterprise customers, that they don't have this, you know, really, uh, you know, at the, on their back, a lot of uh, things to validate. Uh, but, you know, we're serving mostly enterprise organizations. So every solution that we have that we're creating, we, we need to validate it in so many angles to make sure that our customers can use it because if we we'll provide, for example, a huge bank in the US, a product or a service that has security vulnerability, it's going to be a huge issue for us. In today's, like, right this year or this month or whatever, what's been the biggest cause of concern for enterprises? Is it cybersecurity? Uh, issues is it um, you know these exploits that you just mentioned what, what what have you seen as becoming the larger mandate from enterprises when it comes to working with companies like microfocus who are enterprise ready there are many but if i need to choose two one is security it's the number one for sure you are, I, i'm sure you remember last year we had the log 4j issue worldwide not us and the amount of scary customers that thought that now the, their entire business is going to fall down, it's enormous. Okay, so this is security is number one. This is why why specifically we are doing security scan 
every build for every product and if we're something finding something it's get a 911 uh uh, urgency in the R&D to fix it. So this is security is one. The second thing is quality. Customer enterprise customer expect that the product will work perfectly. Okay. I like startups that are ah it's not working. Never mind. You'll fix it later. It's it's okay. Enterprise doesn't accept these quality issues. And in the past, sometimes when we released product with that had some quality issues. Wow, it was a nightmare. So every customer meeting was very, very hard. Okay, so so those two, there are many more, but those are the two big ones that we need to validate that they're actually as planned. Have you ever had or come across any circumstances at Mike in your in your role uh, that you were able to skip the enterprise ready kind of like class and go with maybe a more of a scrappy startup approach to building out the solution? Sometimes at the beginning of new solutions, for example, if we have an idea uh, and we, we want to validate that it works, so we're releasing it, we can call it technical uh, preview, we can call it beta, there are many names for it, but we're releasing it, it works, but it's not fully enterprise ready. So when we're talking to customers that you can use it, okay, usually at that stage it actually doesn't cost them any money to use it. So they cannot complain that much, but we are getting feedback on the solution itself. If the feedback is good and we decide to take it to a you know to a more enterprise level, then we are filling all the gaps between. Mm. Okay. Um, I want to change to something you mentioned uh, in the last conversation we had, which I really liked, and I wanted to explore it a bit more. More. Okay. It was something you said around meaningful, viable. Loved, capab- loved capabilities. Yes. Instead of MVP, MVLP. <laughs> Absolutely. Because we all know what MVP means. Okay. It's many of a valuable product, but sometimes it's not good enough. We want to make sure that the customer enjoy using the solution. Not just, it just, it's not just bringing the right capabilities. They actually love loving using it. So every time we are developing a solution, if it's a new product or new capability in the existing solution, we said, what will engage the customer? What will the customer will enjoy doing or be happy to do? Uh, you know, just trickle the thoughts and saying, if the customer had it, it will actually, will, of course, it will have the capability, but they can actually drag with it, with, with his coworkers and stuff like this. So we, we're looking to, the things that will make our customer love our product, not just use our product, which is so crucial, especially when we want to make sure that our customer will continue renewing renewing your software. And this is the way to create champions and people who actually love your solution. And so how do you determine whether or not something is going to be lovable <laughs> or an MVP, right? Because like, yeah, I want to understand, like, how do you put that into use? Like, how do you determine the success criteria for something that is going to be loved? Most, this is, we talked at the beginning at customer meeting. Usually it's doing customer meeting. When we're, when it can be, if if we're showing a customer for the first time a solution, we, we see where his eyes, like, you know, whoa, we, we see his reaction. And if you already use the, the solution, when we talked about it, as Okay, how was it? Which part did you enjoy using? Which part actually make you your job easier? You know, it, it, 
it, while talking to the customer, you can understand where is the right place for him to go. Okay. I want to talk about uh, product-led growth. So something that uh, has been talked about a lot now in the last, I would say, year or two. It's become quite popular. Yeah. A lot of people have been trying to implement it. Some succeeded, some failed. Um, what I want to ask you, maybe this isn't relevant 100% for enterprise only, but you know, just from your experience, I want to get your perspective around how do you, how can you actually successfully change your product to actually achieve, uh, you know, the approach of product-led growth? So I, I think for enterprise, not only for enterprise, but it's this is the most, you know, I would not say easy, but the most approachable way to uh, get most of your product at the end of the day. Uh, if you have solutions that go coexist together, you need to, to know how to promote each one from the other. And for example, again, I, I don't want to drill down to, to our solution, but now we are building a new platforms that we gather like seven different services. We are putting a lot of thoughts how to promote its service from within the platform. Because customer, customers don't need to buy the entire platform, all the seven services. They can maybe start with only three. So if they're starting with three, we need to help them and show the added value of the others. Now, it's not marketing inside the product. It's not that customer hate marketing inside the product. But if we'll, say, if we'll show them if they had additional value, then they can actually get more of our solution. This is a, a great way to do that. Sometimes we are doing it by promoting something for free. You know, you can use it for 30 days. Don't pay us. If it's good, then talk to us or we'll talk to you. But we need to show the added value of, of the services combined together and to promote within one services the different capabilities that we have. Okay. And I think this is very important to enterprise, not only to enterprise, to everyone, because we know marketing is difficult and everybody is lacking sales rep to talk to customers and customer success. Your customer already have the product. If they can understand how you can help them more from within the product, this is the easiest way to get more customers or to get the customers more usage from within. And are there any circumstances that you could think of or when you should not go PLG? Actually, no. No, okay. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting. Yeah, because like a lot of the conversations I had with people today, you know, especially when it comes to SaaS products, is moving away from a sales culture towards a product culture. That's been the biggest yeah. driver when it comes to the adoption of the PLG mindset or the approach. Um, we're actually speaking to one company now who's been predominantly sales driven, meaning like they've acquired, I think 70% of their entire business customer base through sales initiatives. Yeah. And now they realize that, Hey, we can't, if we need to scale, we can't go hire another 150 salespeople, right? It's not viable. It's not sustainable. We got to move towards a more of a, yeah. a product led growth model. Um, but I want to ask what, what are, what would you say are the initial foundation levels of the parameters for success that you should look at when considering to change your product to be more product-led growth? 
For, first, you need to understand how your customers are using the product. So data is so important to have the right analytics on top of it. Because when you understand how they're using, you, you, you will be able to understand what, what's missing and how you can actually promote different parts of your, your solution uh, or engage more you know, different users in the customer base in, in order to have more users in the application. So this is one very important thing. And the second, to know when to engage a customer. So for example, if a customer is using a, a, a specific capability in your solution, and you're seeing by analyzing the data that they can benefit from the other part that they didn't purchase yet, then someone need to call them. It can be LDR or someone, or can be also a sales rep if you have it, explain more, you know, engaging with the customer. So creating the right product in most enterprise organization, they will not, you know, put the credit card and buy. There is the peculiar process in the back end that they will need to follow. So they need some engagement to make sure that they know how to do that. And in, a, in enterprise organization, the people who take decision what to buy are not the users. So if you come to the to the C level and say, you know, this is how your customer, you your employees using the product, and we know that they can be benefit from the other part because here is the data to support it, then the discussion can be much, much easier with the procurement to make sure that you're actually doing the code. Okay. Um, thank you. Uh, I wanted to ask you about something I think you touched upon briefly that I wanted to resurface. Um, it's around the last customer engagement syndrome. Yeah. Uh, what is it? How does it work? The last customer engagement syndrome says that if you have an, a, you know, an idea and you're engaging with many customers, you remember only what the last one told you. And there, you know, there are product uh, managers that have this syndrome. It's not only PMs, it can be anyone who engage with customers. You need to validate that you don't have it. You need to make sure when you're hearing the last customer saying, okay, this is his opinion. Does it, you know, I've talked to 20 customers in the last month. Does it make sense that this is what you think? You cannot change your roadmap, your agenda, your pipeline because your last meeting, okay? And you need to make sure, and, and it's very easy to, to spot those people because you, you know, if you are a manager in your organization, that you're always making sure that you're the last one talking to him before he's taking a decision, he has this problem, okay? And it's exactly the same with PM. We need to make sure that you are not remembering only the last call. It's the most simplest things to do because, because this is the last thing you heard, but you need to, you know, strain yourself to make sure that you're validating and making sure that everything comes together. And, and how do you do that? Is it just being a bit more... Um... Conscience. Conscious. Just be conscious. Okay. Yes. Right. You can write things down and if you write every customer meeting down, said, okay, this is, was the last customers, but all the other 15 had a different opinion. Then step aside, take a couple of hours and think about all the opinions together and then uh, take your conclusion after that. Okay. I want to jump into this fireside format of quick, you know, quick uh, questions. Sorry, questions okay. and answers. Okay. Uh, so the first question I have is, how do you ask better questions when it comes to building product? 
leave the question open. Don't don't say, okay, did you like this this capability? Leave like open questions and give time for whomever you're talking to to answer. Okay. Uh, what have you become better saying no to over the years? <laughs> uh, when our when R and D come and say we don't have time, I I, I don't I, I don't believe them a lot of time. Okay, they, they need to be because I understand what they're doing. If if I, I'm I'm making sure that they really understand the focus and they really have the capabilities to do that. Okay, um, if you could only spend two or you know up to five hours a week on a certain product management function, what would it be? Talking to customers. Okay. Absolutely. This is the most important thing. All right. Um, last question is, any controversial views you hold when it comes to product? I think there is a sense that the customer is always right. It's not, it's not true. A lot of customers are wrong. Okay. Uh, and you need to, uh, to explain them a different uh, thinking point than them. Because a lot of customers think that they're right, but unfortunately, it's not the case. And how do you, how do you sorry, follow-up question, last one is, how do you yeah. how do you determine whether or not the customer is wrong? <laughs> uh, with a lot of follow-up questions and trying to understand why it got to a specific conclusion. Sometimes they reach it, they reach out a conclusion before, before understanding the, the entire agenda. And when you go, go back, you never say to a customer face that he's wrong, but when you drill down and you explain him some objectives that were before, sometimes he realized that he wasn't that right. Okay, cool. Um, uh, before we wrap up, I want to ask you, I want to give you an opportunity to maybe share anything that I haven't asked you yet but you wish you did for the audience to have a takeaway? I think we all, any product manager, manager in the world knows that PM is, we internally call it the, the garbage collector of the organization. Okay. <laughs> because anything that everybody else is not doing at the end of the day, come to the PM table. So we, we need to be very smart of what we're taking and which responsibility we are taking and which one we're saying, sorry, someone else need to do that. Okay. Uh, we all know that the PM is the bottleneck for sales and R and D and customers, everything. And we are, we are spending so much time with things that are not proper PM. And we need to be smart with our time to make sure that we are actually taking and leading the product to the right direction and not just doing the 911 work that comes every day, all day. Okay. All right. Um, Ayala, it was uh, amazing having you on the episode today. I really appreciate you coming on and sharing your experience. It's been a, a very enlightening episode, so thank you. Thank you. Uh, and always thank you to our listeners for tuning in, um, following us. And if you haven't subscribed yet, it's a good time to do so because we get some great episodes coming your way. Uh, until next time. We are proud.